Great stuff. Good morning. Nice to see you. Tom, don't get tired of us. Don't get bored of us saying we're glad to see you. So glad you're back. We've been praying for you. We've been updating everybody and very glad you're here. <clears throat> Rainier, you here? There you are. I've been away from my family at different times for different reasons. I've never forgotten to eat dinner. It's never happened to me one time. So you might want to check in the, you know, something's going on there. It's not right. Okay. I've never forgotten dinner. Not one time. Um, Rainier's got three beautiful kids. I've got four kids. We're about the same age with kids, so we spend time with our families. And I love family time. Uh, it's really important to me. Uh, my kids are between the ages of 10 and 7, and they've been that old for about the last 20 years, it feels like. Uh, they're not getting bigger. Um, but it's, it's kind of hard to find a family time, you know, so we work hard at it. And one of the things I love to do as a family is watch a movie. You know, kind of sit down with popcorn. We'll even take the kids' mattresses from the rooms and bring it down to the living room, and we'll move the couches back, and we'll get it all laid out. We'll just kind of fall asleep watching a movie once in a while. And it's fun, but it's difficult as a parent, isn't it, if you're a parent, to find the kind of movie that you never have to fast forward, right? You never have to turn the sound down. You, know, you have to jump up in front of the TV, you know? Uh, so we found a few of those that we like. One of ours that we really like uh, is a movie called National Treasure. Uh, they've made two of them, um, but the first, both are actually quite fun to watch uh, as a family. Um, but the whole premise of the movie, I'm going to set it up and we're going to watch uh, the whole movie. It's about an hour and 40 minutes. So, yeah! We're going to bring the mattresses right in the aisle here. Um, the whole premise of the movie is there's this family that through the generations, they've been searching for a treasure that they believe exists. And um, most people, everybody except for this one family has lost faith that this treasure actually exists. And so you go through the whole movie and they go all over the world and have all these adventures and they keep coming to dead end after dead end and there's no treasure anywhere to be found. And the very end of the movie, the, the main character and his father and then their two kind of comic relief people find themselves underneath the subway in New York City in America. And uh, they think they've found the treasure room. And so we're going to take just a moment, we're going to watch just a few minutes of this treasure room scene. I think it's one of the great treasure room scenes in movies. And then when I come back up, we're going to talk about an amazing treasure uh, that God gives to us. So we'll, we'll watch this for a minute. You know, we're always fascinated with treasure. You know, and this movie's so fun because they have found the treasure of a lifetime. And of course, they go upstairs and the authorities come and it's estimated at untold billions of dollars. You know, and you kind of watch the movie and you get so into it. Um, treasure fascinates all of us. You know, we all maybe, maybe as a kid or maybe on the way here this morning, we dream about finding treasure, you know, because of the way it can alter our life, the way it can impact our life. Well, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that God has given us a treasure of immense value. Treasures are valuable for two reasons, either because of how amazingly they can impact our life or because they're very rare and inaccessible. Um, in this case, God has given us a treasure of inestimable value. And the verse that we're kind of using to, to kind of do the message today um, is in Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. And I will put it up on the screen at the end of the message too. Um, I, don't, I didn't prepare them to put it up now, but um, here's what the verse says. We have this treasure in jars of clay. And the treasure that Paul is referring to in that verse is the treasure of the presence, the light and the power of Jesus Christ in our life. And the point of the message today is to remind us that God's presence in our life is the greatest treasure we could ever hope for or imagine. So we're going to take a look at Moses, 
for a few minutes and talk about Moses as we kind of explore this idea. Uh, Moses was born as an Israelite. He was born at a time when the nation of Egypt was the power of the world, and uh, the Israelites were actually in slavery. And Moses should have died when he was a small baby, but by God's providence, he survived. And not only did he survive, but he was adopted by one of the Pharaoh's daughters. And so what that means is this man, Moses, who we may just know his name or you may know his story well, he grew up in the palace of the most powerful man in the world. He had access and attained the highest education that you could receive at that time. He had all the power and influence that anybody could hope for. As a young man, he was very brash and he was very bold and he was very self-confident. He was an immature youth who made mistakes and really didn't care because he didn't have to care because he was backed up by the most powerful force in the world. Um, but in the course of his story, he committed murder. And as a result of that murder, um, a warrant went out for his arrest and he had to flee for his life out of Egypt. And he left Egypt and he went a long way out by himself into the wilderness. And the Bible tells us for the next 40 years of Moses' life, he spent in the desert tending sheep. And if you slow down and think about that, as a teenager, as a young man, all the excitement that would come with wealth and power in a prestigious city in Egypt, and all of that is thrown away, and he's probably waking up every day for the first few years of his life in the desert, wondering if someone's going to find him, if there's bounty hunters out for his life, out to capture him, bring him back for a reward. Who knows? He lived in fear. He lived in rejection. He lived in depression. And it ends up 40 years of living life that way, tending sheep in the desert. And he's a much older man now. And Moses must have felt like his best days were long behind him when God came to him. And God called him and God said, Moses, I have an amazing life in store for you. I have an amazing calling. I'm going to have you go back into Egypt and you're going to have a confrontation with the Pharaoh. And you're going to set all of my people go, over a million people who are in slavery, you're going to go and set them free. And you know what Moses might have said as a younger man? Come on, God, let's go. Let's charge the hill. I'm ready. You know, let's do it. You know, I'm strong. I'm smart. I've got it figured out. I've got connections. That's what he might have done as a younger man, right? You know what Moses said as an older man? And I, you know, we don't have the movie clip from the Bible. But I kind of feel like Moses didn't even kind of raise his eyes up. I kind of feel like Moses had a body posture of defeat. And he just kind of, you know, what we do know is what he said. Moses said, God, I'm not capable of this. You, you can't call me to do this. I can't do this. I'm not capable of it. And God had a dialogue with Moses. And you know what God did not do? God did not pump Moses full of self-help talk. God did not say, Moses, you're the man. Moses, I've designed you for this moment. You've got the strength. You've got the power. You've got the education. You can do this. God didn't give him a self-help seminar. God basically said, Moses, I know you can't do it. But God said this. I will be with you. And you can read by, that's like half a sentence in the Bible. I think we've, maybe we're putting it up there. Um, Exodus chapter 3, verse 12. God says, Moses, I will be with you. And these words mark the rest of Moses' life. God says, I will be with you. And these words should mark the rest of my life and the rest of your life as well. Here's what Moses does. Moses has no confidence in himself. He's broken by life. Some of you, I can look at your faces, you haven't been broken by life yet. Um, and some of you have been broken by life and you found true power in submission to Christ. Um, 
but we're all in a process of life breaking us because life is hard. But when you walk through that and you come out the other side dependent on God like a child, you find real strength and you find real peace. And that's what Moses is on the front end of finding out in this story. So Moses takes the call from God and says, I don't know how in the world you think I'm going to do this, but you've said you'll be with me, so I'm going to go. So Moses goes back, and if you don't know the story, there's a series of confrontations that Moses has with Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt, the most powerful man in the world. With one word, Moses could be stomped out, but God's with Moses. And I know many of you do know the story. There's a succession of greater and greater miracles that God does in the midst of these confrontations. And what God's doing is he's showing Pharaoh... God is showing Pharaoh that he's with Moses and that God is stronger than Pharaoh and that Pharaoh should let his people go. But God was doing a second thing in those miracles that he was performing. See, the I will be with you God was showing Moses that when I'm with you, it's a good thing for your life. When I'm with you, there's a power that's accessible that's not available in your own strength. And so the plagues and the miracles that happen... Sure, they were, they were breaking Pharaoh down and his will to fight against God. But they were also strengthening Moses in his confidence. Listen, not in himself. Moses' confidence in himself wasn't growing. But his confidence in the I will be with you, God, was growing. God, do you, guys, do you realize the very presence of the creator of the universe is in our midst And when you're in your car by yourself, he dwells within you as you've invited Christ into your life. We treat this far too casually. We treat this as a theological truth rather than a life-changing reality, right? So Moses ends up that Pharaoh lets the Israelites go because of the miracles. And Moses is getting more confidence in God, and off they go, and again, If you know the story, they come to this massive body of water, the Red Sea, and they're stuck. Moses is leading maybe a million people, and they're trapped. They can't go further because this big body of water is in front of them, and the Pharaoh's changed his mind, and he's coming after them with the armies to wipe them out, right? And you know what Moses does? God tells him he takes his stick, takes a staff, and that's a whole message in itself, and he raises it up, and the waters part. This amazing miracle. And you know what Moses is thinking while he's holding his arms up and his people are going through on dry ground and then Moses goes through and the waters close up and the enemy's defeated and behind them? Moses is thinking, this I will be with you, God, is a good thing in my life, right? See, God is doing these miracles to build Moses' confidence in him. And let me ask you, and let me even maybe give you an assignment. Do you have Red Sea moments in your life? Do you have moments where God showed up in a way that there's just no denying that God showed up for you? Do you write those things down? Do you remember them? I have a journal, and I haven't written them all down. And I'm sorry I haven't because I've forgotten more than I've written down. But God is always at work in our story, and when we write them down, we remember it. So Moses now, the enemy's behind him for the moment. There's more enemies in front, right? But Moses is now this one guy that a million people are looking to, to lead them. And they're on their way to a specific destination that God has promised Moses. I'm going to take these people and I'm going to bring them to this beautiful place where they can live and raise their families in peace. And Moses is like, i got to lead all these people. Well, guess what happens? 
Moses is doing his best to lead. Maybe you're a leader in some capacity. Everybody's a leader in some way in their home, in their company, in their neighborhood in some way. And uh, probably everybody has experienced what Moses experienced. Moses is going along in his leadership. God's empowering him. Good things are happening. And one of the people, other strong leaders in Israel, decides Moses isn't doing a good job. He gave him a bad job review. You ever gotten a bad job review? That's no fun, right? This guy says Moses is doing things all wrong. Moses is arrogant. Moses is trying to take all the credit for himself. He's doing things the wrong way. And this guy talked 250 other influential leaders into rebelling against Moses. Now, that's a pretty dramatic big scenario, but we all face scenarios in some way like this, whether it's work or home, relational, financial, health-wise, that it just seems too big for us. Put yourself in Moses' shoes. He stepped out. He's growing in his faith in who God is. And this massive rebellion is happening against him and his leadership. And they're saying all kinds of lies and bad things about him. You know what happens? God shows up and God squashes the rebellion. And Moses comes out on the good end of things. You know what Moses has realized fully by this point? The I will be with you God is a life-changing reality for me. See, there's not one victory that Moses has had in any of these stories that came from him. But they came through the power of God. And then, of course, as every one of our stories will go, uh, Moses had his Mount Nebo experience. Um, this was at the end of Moses' life. The Bible tells us Moses was 120 years old. His eyes were still as strong as a young man. His body was strong. But it was his time to die. And the end of Deuteronomy, it's one of the most touching and most emotional chapters to read in scripture unless of course you're doing it in a devotional and you're reading it quick with coffee before you race out to get in your car to go to work but if you really read the end of Deuteronomy chapter 33 Moses knows his time to die has come and Moses has fallen deeply in love with the people of Israel they are his children he has poured over 40 years of his life into leading passionately these people toward a destination and God a vision that he has poured his life into and he hasn't seen it come to pass yet and it's his time to die, and he knows it. And he calls the nation of Israel together. And as a grandfather would pray over grandchildren, as a father or a mother would pray and bless their children, Moses comes before the congregation of Israel. And with all of his passion and all of his emotion, he prays to God, and then he pours out a blessing on each of the tribes of Israel, which means every person there. He pours out a blessing on each one of them. And then we get to chapter 34 in Deuteronomy. And basically, God says, Moses, come, come take a walk with me. See, the Bible says that Moses was a friend of God. In all of the history of Israel, no other man walked and talked face-to-face -face with God the way that Moses did. Moses was a friend of God's. But his time had come physically to pass away. And God said, Moses, walk up the mountain with me. And he took him up to this Mount Nebo, which was a strategic spot because you could look from there and see the promised land that God had promised Moses he would lead the people to. And God said, Moses, you're not, you're not going to be able to make it there. Your time is done. But I want to assure you, these people that, that you've led, the energy that you've poured your life into, this vision that you've believed would come to pass, it will come to pass. Tenderly reassuring him. And then Moses died on the mountain. You know who was with him? The I will be with you God 
was with Moses in his last breath. You know, the Bible says that God buried his friend Moses. And to this day, we don't know the spot. Do you see the intimate connection and relationship that God has with Moses? It's amazing. We all have strengths and abilities and gifts and experience and education and we have to go out in the marketplace or wherever relationally and try to put our best foot forward. Real power comes in laying all that down and saying, God, I'm grateful for whatever it is you've given me, but I know that my success, my hope, my purpose, my joy, my peace in life comes from yielding to your power in me. And so Moses walked through those whole last 40 years of his life empowered, renewed, living an adventure with his friend God. All the way to his last breath, God was with him, right? An amazing and a beautiful story of friendship that God initiated, just like he does with us. But there's one part in the story now. We've got to back up because I kind of did a lot of that to set up um, something that happens in Exodus chapter 33. So we're going to back up now. We're right in the middle of Moses' story now. He's leading the people through enemy territory, and they're on the way to the promised land. And God comes to him in in, uh, Exodus chapter 33, verse 3. And in the midst of talking, he says, hey, you're going to do this and that. Go up to the fertile land. But God says this to Moses, but I will not go with you. This is the only time in Scripture we see that God says, I'm not going to be with you on this one. God says, Moses, I'm not going to be with you. And you know what Moses did? Moses said, God, if you're not going with us, we will not take one step from this spot. If if you're not going to go with us to that place, if you're not going to lead me to that place, I'm not moving one step without your presence moving forward with me in my life. You know what happened in Moses' spirit when God said, I won't go with you? He froze in terror. Now, let me ask you, if you knew you were going to do today without the presence of God, would it make a difference to you? I I don't ask that like condemning. I just, I ask myself that question. I just happen to have a mic and I'm talking out loud, right? Does it make a difference to you, the reality that God will be with you when you go to work tomorrow, when you walk out of here, when you go to lunch with friends? See, Moses was terrified at the thought of a single step without the presence of God in his life because he had come to recognize its value. And I think for every one of us sitting here, we're nowhere near where Moses was at this point in his life. We have a general sense that Jesus is a good thing in our life. We've accepted him as Savior. But guys, he came for so much more than that. A moment-by-moment dependence and joyful relationship with him walking every step of the way. And Moses understood. He said, I'm not moving. And then a few few verses later, they kind of talk back and forth. I love how Moses feels free to argue with God. Um, I'm not quite comfortable with that yet, but um, Moses argues with him. But then Moses is reasoning with God, and he says this in uh, Exodus 33, 16. He says, God, is it not in your going with us that we are distinct, that we are different among all the peoples of the earth? See, Moses understood something that I really want us to understand today, and, and, and not just as individuals, but as a church, okay? As, as any church, as this local body of the church of Jesus Christ The only thing we have to offer this community that nobody else can offer is the presence of God. We had amazing worship music today, wasn't that? I mean, it was amazing worship music. And people can go out into other places in Beijing and hear amazing music. Probably not quite as good as we had today, but they can. You know, to be quite honest, people can go to other places and listen to seminars that get really good information to improve their life. 
You know, and, and that's a part of the church service. But the one thing that the church offers uniquely that no other organization offers is the presence and the power of God. And there's a lot of times where when I come to church here in the last six months, I'd say more Sundays than not. Um, I'm in here in the room for a lot of the worship, but I actually slip out and I go back there and I'm right behind that curtain and I just pray. And I, I've only told a few people that because I haven't felt the need to try to create a movement and have other people pray. But I just go back and I stand right over there and all the dirt and the dust and the birds and all that stuff. And I just say, God, would you come in power? Every one of us has come with a need, a desire to draw closer to you. Would you come in your presence? And I just pray for God's presence to fill this place. And I'm going to keep doing that because I know that's the only thing we have the offer that's different from other places. And God gives it freely. He must scratch his head, metaphorically speaking, when we just go through our day in our own strength, right? So Moses gets it. Moses says, my life is different. My life, is, my life works because of your presence, right? Moses got it, and we need to get it. Um, another just quick story in the Old Testament, a man named Eli, a leader in Israel who was 98 years old, and he wasn't a great leader, didn't do everything perfect, but he was, at this time, he was leading Israel. Israel was off in a battle, which they often were, and he was waiting at home for news of how the battle had gone, and I'm just going to read this for you. So a messenger comes to Eli, and Eli says, what's going on? And the messenger says, Eli, Israel has been defeated. Thousands of Israelite troops are dead on the battlefield. Your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were killed too. And the ark of God has been captured. Now, the ark of God represented the presence of God in the nation of Israel. And the next verse is amazing to me. It says, when the messenger mentioned what had happened to the ark, Eli fell backward from his seat beside the gate, broke his neck, and he died. This is amazing to me. He's waiting for news. He's leading Israel. And the first piece of news he hears is, the army's been defeated. We've lost. And he didn't fall down. Then he said, thousands of troops are dead. And he didn't fall down. Then he said, your two sons were killed in battle. And Eli sat there. And then he said, and the presence of God has left us. And as soon as he said that, Eli fell backwards, broke his neck and died. Because Eli, like Moses, understood what it meant to have the presence of God and to lose the presence of God, what it meant. So my encouragement to us is to live our lives every moment of every day with the reality of the presence of God in our life. You know, to powerful people, famous people, what, what are they in our culture? Are they easily accessible? Is it easily accessible to go up to a world leader? Can you walk up and have a conversation with them? Is it easily accessible to walk up to a celebrity and just kind of go to their house? You can't do it, right? People of power, most times in the world system, are inaccessible to us, right? And what's amazing about Jesus is he's so extravagantly accessible, right? Um, my life is golf. If you've been here, you know I hardly get up here without a golf illustration. Stephen tells me I have to. Um, so this is Stephen's illustration here. Um, I have been a part of different ministries where you raise money to support ministry efforts and things. And I was at a breakfast um, with about 150 people where we were going to go play golf and money had been raised. But there was also an auction, which means you have valuable items and someone holds up the item and says, how much will you give for this, right? Well, this particular auction item uh, was a day on a boat out in the ocean with a guy named Jack Nicklaus. If you don't know golf, I know that means nothing. 
But Jack Nicklaus is the greatest golfer who's ever played, a wonderful man, amazing, and he's actually pretty accessible in his life. But still, as, as personalities and famous people go, they're inaccessible, right? But listen, grown men, right, that have families and wives and things to support, they were yelling out, I'll give $5,000 to, to play a round of golf, you know, to, to, to go on the boat with Jack Nicklaus for a day. Another guy yelled out, I'll give $10,000, U.S. dollars. Another guy yelled out, 15,000 U.S. dollars. Just by coincidence, I was sitting with Jack Nicklaus at the table. Now, I wasn't, we weren't sitting there as friends, but he happened to sit at my table, which was really cool. And Jack's sitting there just shaking his head. He's like, oh, I can't believe this. You know, just shaking his head, you know. And guess how much that went for? For the chance to have one day with a famous person in, a, in the game of golf, so insignificant in the scheme of things, a man paid 40,000 U.S. dollars to have access to this famous person. Isn't that amazing? See, guys, Jesus should have, could have come inaccessible with pomp and circumstance, removed from the people, demanding reverence. And he didn't. He came as a child in a manger. He came, you know, wearing simple clothing and shoes and getting dirty and having meals and being angry and being sad and being joyful. Everything that the hum human soul experiences. Access to power. Um, I'm from America, so, uh, you know, in America we have our president who lives in the White House, and he's a very, very powerful person. And so what happens is lo a lobbyist is a person who pays a lot of money so that they can have access to the president. And um, that's kind of how a lot of the system works. You get access, you might be able to convince him to do something that would benefit you in some way. That's the world system. Uh, many years ago in my golf life, I played in a golf competition where I represented the United States in a big match against some other countries in the world. It was pretty exciting. And the event's called the Walker Cup, W-A-L-K-E-R, Walker Cup. Um, and what's significant is that when I played in this many, many years ago, the president of the United States at that time was George Bush. Um, now, in America, we've had, you know, several presidents since then, but he was the father George Bush. No, we had George Bush Sr., then we had Bill Clinton, and then we had George, what do we call him, W, right? George W. Bush. You know what the W stands for? It stands for Walker. George Bush's, George W. Bush's great-great-grandfather donated the trophy for this golf competition way back in the early 1900s. So it was named after him. So it's called the Walker Cup. So the Bush family, the president's family, has a big connection to this event. So our team captain got a letter, and he interacted with the president's people, and when we won the match, the match is played every two years. It's played overseas, and then every second year it's played back in America. When I played in it, we played in America. And um, we were told we were going to be invited to the White House to meet the president when we won the match. The power of the White House, the president, the whole bit. You guys, indulge me. You want to see a picture of me with the president at the White House? Actually, we lost the match, and they never invited us, so... <laughs> So, so it's one of my, <coughs> you know, it's one of my really bummers in my life, you know. Um, but, but all the rest of it's a true story. It's, it, the Walker Cup's been played ever since the early 1900s. And my team, that when I represented my country, it's the only time in history, it was the first time in history that the American team lost on U.S. soil. So you're standing in front of someone who's made history. So thank you. Yeah. We want access to power, and we can't get it in the world system. 
But what Moses learned, what Eli learned, and what Jesus came to drive home to us is the reality that Jesus is fully accessible to our lives. Are you living like Jesus is accessible? Well, I'm, I'm going to wrap up in just a minute here, but I, it's a complicated thing because when we grow up and we have parents, and some people have a great uh, childhood, and they have great mom and great dad, and others grow up and they don't have a great image of a mom and a dad, and it makes it difficult to connect in an intimate and a personal way with a loving father because maybe you didn't have that modeled in the right way for you as a kid, so you grow up with an idea of a dad that's distant. Guys, God will break through that if that's your story. God is intimate. He is the I will be with you God in every circumstance of your life. As life breaks you, as life hurts you, as life challenges you, as you learn to give up power and control, the real strength and power and joy of life fills you through the presence of Jesus. So we come back to our verse that we started with in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, verse 7. And the Apostle Paul who's writing, he says, he's talking along and he just says, so now we have this treasure in jars of clay. And so, again, the treasure is the presence, the light and the power of Jesus Christ that's in our life. The life-changing power, right? What's the jar of clay? You, you guys get it, right? What's the jar of clay? It's us. What's, what's a jar of clay? A jar, a jar of clay is nothing special in and of itself. It depends on what it's holding. Um, I, I don't have any great, well, no, I shouldn't say that. My wife is here. I have a great treasure <laughs> in my wife. <laughs> I have four wonderful treasures in my kids. But in terms of like gold and silver and all that, I don't have a great stockpile of treasure, right? But the treasure that I do have, I know right where I put it. I know right where it is, right? You know where most of it is? I'm not telling you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know where most of my treasure is? It is in a bank in America that's guarded with locks and doors and combinations that are this thick and you couldn't blow through it with a tank, right? And not only that, but if they move my treasure for some reason from one place to another, armored trucks and armed guards move it for me. Seriously, it's how it works in America. They're going to move my money around. If all that fails and someone steals my treasure from that bank, the United States government has guaranteed me that they will back up my money in that bank and they will repay me that money. What do you do with your treasure? You just stick it in a chute, you just put it in a drawer, you just put it in an envelope. When you have a great treasure, you take great care in where you put it. Guys, God put his greatest treasure jars of clay right God has taken his greatest treasure and he said you are my treasure house and he's given you his presence to hold to experience for it to overflow into other people's lives it's an amazing truth to me I feel like I've done an introduction to a message um, but I'm just going to finish with uh, reading something that quite frankly I think many of you have heard it before and it's, it's probably a little more cute than it is theological. Um, but, but I think God works in simple messages sometimes. Um, so I'm just going to read this. I'm going to pray, and then, and then we'll be done. Um, so it's, it's just a little tale, and it goes like this. There's a water bearer in China, of all places, uh, who had two large pots, each hung on the ends of a pole, which he carried across his neck. 
One of the pots had a crack in it, while the other pot was perfect and always delivered a full portion of water. At the end of the long walk from the stream to the house, the cracked pot, I love that, the cracked pot, arrived only half full. For a full two years, this went on daily, with the bearer delivering only one and a half pots of water to the house. Of course, the perfect pot was proud of its accomplishments, perfect for which it had been made. But the poor cracked pot was ashamed of its own imperfection and miserable that it was able to accomplish only half of what it had been made to do. After two years of what it perceived to be a bitter failure, it spoke to the water bearer one day by the stream. And the cracked pot said, I am ashamed of myself because this crack in my side causes water to leak all the way back to your house. To which the bearer of the pot said, did you notice that there were flowers only on your side of the path, not on the other pot's side? That's because I have always known about your flaw and I planted flower seeds on your side of the path. And every day while we walked back, you watered them. For two years, I've been able to pick these beautiful flowers to decorate the table. Without you being just the way you are, there would not be this beauty to grace the house. As I'm flawed, you're flawed, we're earthen vessels, we're normal containers. But as we learn to let the presence of God dwell in us and flow through us, the life that every one of us imagined, beyond imagination, is waiting for us. So I want to pray for us, and then uh, we're just going to finish. We'll be free to get up and leave, but let me just, let me just pray over us here. <clears throat> God, thank you for a truth that is hard to fully grasp. God, I pray that you would make it more of a reality in each one of our lives. God, there are there are health concerns that we're aware of in our congregation this morning. There are others that we're not aware of in this congregation this morning. We lift up your healing to any of those who are sick or diseased or have serious illness. God, we pray for your healing, that your presence would be with those people and their families. God, for those who are having challenges in relationships and finances, emotionally, mentally, difficult circumstances in this moment, God, do what you do. God, allow life to break us to the place where we fully yield to you, and then we find real strength and hope. God, that's my prayer this morning, that we would find our strength, our light, and our direction in you this morning. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his accessibility. Thank you for his promise. Thank you for his hope. We pray all these things in his name. Amen. Amen. Have a great week.